1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming
2: up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show.
3: So it was a pretty good few days for Manchester City as a whole this week. A win at Sheffield United on Saturday, success in the Women's FA Cup Final on Sunday, a victory for the kids in the Youth Cup Final on Monday, and then a 3-0 win over Olympiacos in the Champions League on Tuesday. Not a bad way to do the week, all told. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where it's time to look ahead to perhaps the first big test of the season for City, as Liverpool come to town at the weekend. How well is Pep Guardiola's side doing ahead of the game, given that chances can look at a premium at times, but the defence is at least looking more solid. Later in the show, we'll be hearing from former City captain Kit Simons and we'll be taking a trip down memory lane to one of the least illustrious competitions that City have ever won three times, the Thomas Cook Trophy. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is Goal.com City correspondent Jonathan Smith. Hi, David. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello, mate. You are right? I'm not too bad, thanks. You both well, folks? uh, John, everything everything well? All good? Yeah, yeah. Jack, Uh, how are you doing these days? All right, yeah, not bad. Not bad. Locked down. Locked down and locked in. Yeah, there we go. So nothing more to do but talk about football. So here we are. Um, John, you said last time that you were on the show, uh, this season is is very much survival of the the fittest. It's it's about results and not displays. Uh, Given that, how do you think City are doing right now?
4: Well, getting results and displays aren't as good as they have been in recent years. But, uh, you know, I sort of stand by that, what I said. It's... (laughs) I, particularly looking ahead to this game against Liverpool, it's all about the result. Um, I don't think they can make too much. They can't work too much in training. They can't work on too think on things too much. So, just getting through the results, ticking them off one by one, getting as many wins as they can. Obviously, West Ham wasn't uh, a brilliant performance or a brilliant result. But apart from that, you know, Champions League and uh, and the win against Sheffield United, it, it's going okay.
3: Yeah, Jack is it is it unfair to call the last two games I mean given that City won 3-0 against Olympia Arcos, is it unfair to call these games labored wins? Um I mean they, they struggled to to break Olympiacos down in the second half the other night.
5: Um I think it's definitely fair to say that I and mean, they labored to it. Labor to the wind to a certain degree, but then you know if you look look at the stats, look at the result after the game, you and you'd not watched it, you'd gone well that was perfectly routine, and they've ground them down and then scored
3: two goals in the last ten minutes. Um, and you, I mean, you look at the chances that Olympiacos and, and Sheffield United had, and they, they were at a minimum, weren't they? They were minimal, but
5: you know Lundstrom's chance is a really good chance last weekend, and uh, Val Buena's chance, well, it's guilt edge isn't it? It's a, a tapping, you should score uh and then those go in and then the, the 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 games change massively uh and then city have to go and win the game again don't they because it would have been one all in, in in both matches if those those chances had gone in so the, i don't know it's hard to it's hard to call because as john said it's not they're not playing they're not playing as well as they have done um in recent seasons um they're still missing chances but not creating the same amount so the missed chances at the moment uh feel bigger than they did this time last year. Yeah. But then again they are looking more solid. So it it's really difficult to to sum up and then you know you look at the West Ham game if they if they somehow managed to get a, get a win at West Ham did a one did end up winning like seven on the trot or whatever it is and it was it's looking really rosy. Yeah, I
3: mean, just in terms of creativity, John, How, why is that such a big problem at the moment? Because, like, ultimately, these are still great players that City have got. They should be able to create chances.
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're without a striker, I think Ferran Torres has done a really, really good job as an emergency number nine. But obviously, you know, Aguero is one of the best strikers in the world and has been for the last decade. And his movement and things like that are just natural. Um, so uh, it's not always down to the person who makes the pass, it's the person who makes the run to create the pass. Uh, So I think they've obviously missed that. Um, I don't don't think they're at the sharpest yet. Uh, De Bruyne has been, he he was clearly absolutely shattered after the international break. Uh, He's getting back to his best. Obviously, two assists against uh, Olympiacos. Um, Yeah, I mean... There's just not many options, a bit of a lack of freshness. Still, he's been okay. Mares a bit mixed. Uh, the, thing, the thing
3: I'm finding odd, though, like, like when I think of that game at, at Bramall Lane, the, like there was two instances where City had the ball like pretty much within touching distance of, uh, of the near post and still couldn't find a way to get it into the net.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they did create, I think they had 16 efforts on target against Sheffield United sorry, sixteen shots, eight on target, which is pretty good. Even you know, that stat holds up with City at their absolute best and they've not taken the chances. They could have they could have won that game much more comfortably, but like Jack says, it's you know, it's on a knife edge if they had Sheffield United had that one opportunity and if they'd taken it, that would have been a, a huge blow. But so I I think you just roll with it and just keep going. I think I think they're getting better with each game, I thought First half an hour against Olympiakos was, as well as they played this season, probably that was that was that
5: was the best they played in a long time. First half hour Olympiakos, thought um, Foden was great. First half hour, obviously trailed off towards the end, and um, had a significant part to play in the Valbuena chance. But I, the interesting thing versus Arthur the other night was, I thought Zinchenko played really well actually in moving into midfield because obviously they only played the one uh anchorman in the three zinchenko moving into midfield allowed foden to go and play with sterling a bit more and push olympiakos back on their right hand side i think they got loads and loads of joy like that so you quite like to see foden playing in a three more often and getting him really really close to sterling because that's how that's how they're going to break these teams down that, that play that sit on the on the edge of their own box you need quick Players like Foden and Sterling to knit round them and play these one-touch passes. Like the, that's where the, the first goal came from, wasn't it? In that Torres has played a really quick ball to De Bruyne and knows where it's going, runs off, and then the ball's in a net. Like in previous games, it's not been that quick and it's not been that sharp. Yeah, you wonder whether they've actually they're actually trying to they're actually getting that back now. And you'll you'll see the first half hour against Olympiacos, you might see that become. 55, 60 minutes in games now, and then in a few weeks' time, it then becomes a full, a full ninety minutes in the back of business.
3: Is, is that the sort of thing that could stretch the pitch at that end of the field, though, Jack? Because I, like, I know a lot of fans recently have been talking, and we've talked about it endlessly on on the last couple of shows about City's problems when they play inverted wingers and and just kind of, and it ends up narrowing the top end of the pitch if they can stretch it by getting you know folding out to the left a bit more and and by maybe having Walker off of the width on the right hand side instead it's that an, is that a solution to city's kind of creativity problems in recent weeks? I, th- I think it was a,
5: yeah I think it was a solution the other night I think it worked really well um but then it didn't it didn't really create the the clear cut chances that you would expect them to um i think with the with the inverted wingers ideally you'd want two full backs who are Able and willing to run from their own byline to the other byline and back again all game, but they don't have that, do they? Um, without Mendy, they don't have that. Um, and I suppose there's an argument even with Mendy
3: that, that it's Mendy's not the same as he was a couple, yeah. Years. He's not he's not the player from what 2017 or so, is he? So, no,
5: no. Um, I just think with the inverted, with, if you're going to play the inverted wingers. And he seems wedded to the idea of playing Sterling on the left, even though I'd quite like to see him on the right and and coming in and finishing moves off like he used to. Uh, With that, you you do need your full-backs to occupy the space in midfield. And I think Zinchenko is the one that has really, really grasped that. I mean, there's obviously pitfalls, in playing Zinchenko defensively and individual mistakes and all that, all that goes with, with playing him. But from an attacking point of view, I think he offers them a lot and probably more than... I know Cancelo's played relatively well on the left-hand side the last few weeks, but I think there's just a little bit more... It's a bit more precise when Zinchenko plays there. It's a bit more like chess, which is how Pet wants to play. Whereas if you've got Cancelo up and, up and down on the
3: left-hand side on his wrong foot, it doesn't give them quite the same balance. Yeah, um, Jack mentioned Ferran Torres there, John. Um, he's he's starting to look quite a useful little player, isn't
4: he? Yeah, I think we kind of forgot about him a little bit when he was signed so early in, in the window. Um, I, I think the comparisons were going to be with with Sane, and Sane was so explosive that it was would be difficult to to get close to. His impact, but he's you know he's he's really getting to grips with what he's been asked to do. Um, he's not a striker, but he's done a really really good job there. You know, his movement off the ball, his runs are just really really good. Um, and he's probably a bit unlucky to not have more goals. I'm looking forward to seeing him playing as an out and out winger, which is what he was signed for, um, and down down the left hand side as well.
3: I was going to ask this: Where where do you think he fits best into the team? Just just compared to where he's been playing recently? Yeah, well, I think he's
4: I, I think he's a winger, and I think he he he's, he can be a bit more direct in the way that Sane was. With you know, he's, he has he's very very quick. Um, so I think yeah, that's that that's his long long term future. And I, I think if they can get Aguero and Jesus back after the international break, Sterling's looking sharp. Torres, uh, Foden, then you're really getting competition for places there, uh, and, and that's going to help them push on this season. Torres is interesting because
5: he fancies himself as a as a left sided winger on the on the left of a of a three, whereas people that know him and have, have watched him in the last few years say he's definitely a right winger. But he actually sees himself as someone who should play on, on the left. I don't know whether that's like younger players now who who are wide players. And Sterling's the same. Sterling would far rather play on the left than he would the right, purely because you get more opportunities to score. And it's it's in your it's in your hands, isn't it? When you get the ball on the left hand side of the box as a right footed player, you can manufacture a chance for yourself. Yeah. Um, if, you're,
3: if you're Sterling on the right hand side, you need uh, you need somebody else to to put it you on need the plate someone to play. Point, off.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and the younger players all want to play on the left, or the right footed ones want to play on the left because they can they can create the chances themselves.
3: God, you know, I'd have just been happy to play.
5: <laughs> I, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, you'd just be happy to be there, wouldn't you?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, Torres is looking like an absolute bargain already, though. Yeah, And that is a hell of a deal. Do you know? Have you seen the stat that's been doing the doing the rounds since he uh, since he scored in the in the Champions League on on Tuesday night? That he's mm. the third youngest player to four consecutive Champions League goals. Uh, only Mbappe and Haaland have beaten him to it on that on that front. Good I mean, it's, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a good club to be a part of, isn't it? Yeah, and he's got that. I
5: think he's got that instinct in front of goal. I think he's just. I mean, Pep said it on after the Sheffield United game. You can always tell with with Pep when he actually genuinely means something because his his like hands start moving, and when he <laughs> talks about when he talks about like <laughs> an attacking player, he always says like sense or smell of goal. But his his thumb and his index finger come together, and you can just tell he means it, and that's what he did with Torres and they've obviously seen someone who can get him. I'm not saying this season, but someone who can get him 15 goals in a, in a year.
4: Yeah. If I, you look at the goals this season, the way, he's, the way he took them, they're all slightly different. With the one at Burnley, he's, he's finished with a sort of powerful strike into the bottom corner. The the one against Porto, and he's smacked into the top corner. The way away at Marseille, he's, he's seen the keeper come out, come out and, and slightly delayed his right shot. Right and then against Olympiakos, he he's had a look up and put it underneath the keeper. Yeah. So he was unlucky not to
3: get one at, at Bramall Lane as well. It was a great save that that that, yeah. kept that one out.
4: But it's just the, just the way that it, there's a control <laughs> to his finishes, uh, which which is impressive. Uh, which is is the sort of thing that Aguero and, and Jesus do a natural natural instinct for finishing. There. So the way the way he took the one the other night
5: reminded me of Michael Owen when he was younger. Yeah. I don't it just me.
3: looks so clean. Yeah. Composed as well, that's the thing, yeah. Mm. Um Jack when you were talking there about Pep and his hand signals, uh, I just got I, I just got that gif of uh, John Stones has balls, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh
5: there, yeah, there've been there've been a few a few moments over the last 4 years where you've gone that is uh that's funny and that yeah. will make its way onto Twitter. Yeah, it'd be a uh, gift gif, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does, does, what, what are the best ones? John, was the one at Swansea? There was a wink at Swansea, wasn't there? It's the a couple of ago. winks.
4: Um, there was the one, I think there was one where uh, James said he won, James Ducker said he won five trophies, and he said six and pulled a funny face
6: at him. <laughs>
4: that was a good one.
5: The one where, the the one in the first season, when they'd won ten on the trot and uh, Jamie had asked him whether they could win everything was a good one as well. So, he <laughs> yeah, just, did he drop his head or just start sighing or something. It just that
4: was hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I think he dropped the F bomb on that one, didn't he? He did. Yeah he did. <laughs> um but
3: anyway I was I was bringing it round to Stones because um uh, it, 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 was it a surprise to see him start against Olympiarcos?
5: Big surprise, yeah. I was um I didn't think he I didn't think he'd start. I thought he played one of Diaz or or the poor, particularly as he um, as he was bigging up the smaller teams in the Champions League twenty four hours earlier. Uh, I didn't think he'd. I didn't think he'd throw stones in. It was good that he did, um, and I thought Stones played well. I thought he did okay. Um, I think I gave him a seven, and I thought he did all right at, at Wolves as well. The first game of the season. So he's had two two opportunities there in six weeks or however long it is. Two starts and. They've done. He's done well in both of them, which has got to be got to be a good thing. It's just the injuries, though, isn't it? That's the that's the problem. Well, I think, yeah. Obviously, there's the injuries and and managing his his fitness and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's the confidence as well. His confidence absolutely has been shot for two years, um, and it is taking him a long time to to get back to the player that he was. And obviously, trust. Trusting him has been a er- has been eroded with the manager. And you don't need to know anything to know that. You just, you yeah. just see that he doesn't don't play anymore, does he? Um, but he's definitely. I think John will back me up with this. I think he's definitely, definitely a better option than playing Eric Garcia. Yeah, Stones has got to be the fourth choice this year. Got to be. I,
4: I I think that maybe Stones has had all these chances that he was going to be given but circumstances may just give him one more chance in that Garcia doesn't want to be there, could well leave in January. Um, and I just don't... Th- you know, if you're going to look look towards the future, all right, John Stones might not be the future, but he's a, he's got more of a chance than Garcia has. And I think, yeah, like Jack says, he needs to be... The sec- uh, He needs to be the fourth choice. I, th- I get the impression that the reason, possibly, that Garcia played the last two games he did was because he was short of a, a left-sided centre-back with both Laporte and a- Ake unavailable. Um, and I think maybe it's now going to be, on the left, Laporte and then Ake, and on the right, Stones, uh, Diaz-, D- Diaz and Stones, yeah. And yeah. Um, Stones has got to be looking at those...
5: Those two uh two group game hopefully games five and six in a group that won't mean anything, he's gotta play those and he's gotta be looking at the the Carabao Cup game before Christmas. Um and he's gotta be playing that. And then if he can add a couple of Premier League appearances as well in that time, one or two like Fulham at home or something like that, it just gives him a little bit of momentum.
3: A bit of foundation, yeah. Um uh, just looking at the defense as well, because uh, Jack, it's now uh, three consecutive clean sheets for the, in in all competitions for the first time in sixty matches uh, for City, um, and I suppose if you're not going to score that many, having a solid defense is it's a pretty good time to have a solid defense, isn't it?
5: Yeah, but I think that's um, and yeah, Laporte and and, and Diaz uh, are already looking like a very strong strong partnership, uh, which has been to be honest is a bit of a surprise that that's that's clicked quite so quickly. Um, I was certainly wasn't expecting that, but I mean, from the if you take the Marseille and Sheffield United games, because that's when those two played, they've not given up. They, they've not really given up. I can't remember Marseille having a proper chance in that in that match. I might be wrong. And Sheffield United only had the, the one John Lund- Lundstrom opportunity, and that's yeah, the two centre arms are a big part of that. But that's a that's a team effort. Yeah. That that means they're all working properly, which is more. I think that will probably fill them with more the management with more confidence than merely Diaz and Laporte clicking together. Because um, I think they worked. They, all right, Sheffield United was a bit slow and it was boring, but they ground it out. And do, do you they think were
3: City? Do you think City have come through that that kind of rocky eighteen months that they've had? I
4: think mean, it's barely to say yeah on that. Yeah, I think mean, Liverpool will be a real sort of test on that. I mean the the way that uh, the, the way that Leon scored their goals. I don't think City have really played a team like that, apart from Leicester. I mean, Leicester scored five, so so maybe not. <laughs>
7: yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I
5: don't think you, you can't say that on the back of, of three results and three games that they should have won. Um, anything less than three victories out of those three games would have would have wouldn't have been good enough, would it?
0: marketing wizards found them software engineers found that project manager i could never seem to hire and found linkedin jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience in fact 86 percent of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com spoken that's linkedin.com spoken terms and conditions apply
2: please give us your backing patreon.com forward slash blue moon
6: podcast
3: uh, final point for the first part of the show on Carl uh, Walker because he got all the attention on Saturday and, and quite rightly so. Um, but John, he's, he's he's suddenly out of nowhere getting the plaudits that I think he's probably deserved for quite some time, do you think?
4: Yeah, and I think he's getting better, actually. I think he's each season he's getting a little bit better. He seems faster than ever. Um, he seems stronger than ever. And I think he really gets... Uh, how to play in a in a pep team. I think he really knows what his role is. I still, you know, I th- there are still occasions where he gets caught out. The penalty there's a penalty against Leicester. Um a, a couple of times yeah, I think back to the Arsenal goal in the FA Cup final FA Cup semi final where he, he didn't really anticipate what was happening. Um, so he's not flawless but He's been very, very good for a number of seasons and I sort of argued the case at the weekend in the piece I wrote that he's possibly Pep's best and most consistent signing that has joined the club during, his, during Guardiola's time there. I mean, I think maybe Laporte was probably the best but he missed six months of the season with an injury. So so I'll go for maybe Walker as being the most consistently uh, important player that he signed.
5: He is really, he's really close with the manager as well. I don't think people realize quite how close they are. Um, and Pep's told people that he sees Walker as like kind of City's equivalent to Philip Lahm, in that it just understands the game and knows exactly what is required of him. Which I don't think people really give Walker the credit he deserves from a football intelligence point of view. I think he just got it instantly, didn't he? With Pep, he just he didn't really need that much that much coaching I mean when his form because his form did dip a couple of years ago didn't it um and that was because he didn't he didn't have any uh he didn't have someone behind him pushing him for that place didn't have any competition well Danilo
3: wasn't it and yeah until
5: Cancello came in and, and then it was noticeable last year particularly towards the end of the season when Cancello was or after project restart when Cancello had like sorted out his own problems with the club and um he was Becoming less of a, he was less of a nuisance, and was starting to play quite well. That Walker actually went up another couple of levels because he knew that he had someone behind him. He needs someone pushing him, um, and I think Cancelo has actually been quite a quite a positive influence for for Walker, who every single week seven eight out of ten, um, and is getting as you said before, he's, he's getting stronger with age. I mean, on the telly the other night, I can't remember what. Ex pro, it was, but they were talking about how they felt when they like turned 30. That for a couple of years, they felt like a far better player than they'd, than they'd been before. And they were on with Rio Ferdinand, who and Ferdinand turned around and said, Well, I feel I felt the complete opposite. I thought I was coming toward the end at like 28, 29. But I think certain players do become just better individually, they, come be- they become better with age because they are so fit and I think uh, Walker wants to carry on for another
3: six years uh, Yeah, and looking at him at the moment you go well yeah he's probably got that in him yeah yeah quite uh, right well uh, even after Tuesday the only goal ever scored by Olympiakos at the Etihad Stadium was scored by Yaya Toure it was pre-season in 2005 when the Greek side took part in City's regular warm-up competition the Thomas Cook Trophy Sam Roscoe leads a trip down memory lane to revisit those one-off ties against some European opposition
2: It started in 2004.
7: The Thomas Cook Trophy is a nice little bit of tongue-in-cheek City humour that we're able to say yeah but have they lifted the Thomas Cook Trophy or is it as big as the Thomas Cook Trophy? That's City
2: fan Adam Carter talking about the not-so-illustrious competition. It was staged for five years until its final outing at the beginning of 2008-2009. That day City beat AC Milan 1-0 to lift the trophy for the third time. Richard Burns was at the match.
6: I remember being a bit excited to watch us against AC Milan because they were... When you look at the the other games that we played, LNPACOS, Porto and Lazio, they're all big teams, but none of them... I hope I'm not being disrespectful to them saying this, but none of them quite carry the the weight of AC Milan. Certainly not at the point that we played AC Milan. It wasn't... um, it wasn't so long after they'd been in Champions League finals and even won one.
2: It was City's first win in the Thomas Cook trophy for a few years as well.
6: It was exciting to go to that game when we weren't used to seeing City against big European teams. And I remember Bojanov scoring and that was like, that was properly exciting because he scored a great goal. And it felt like we really had something there, like he, he could have a big season and obviously uh, nothing really ever panned out of his time at City.
2: City fan Dan Burke was also at that match and he also liked what he saw from the striker. I
6: also
8: remember being really impressed with Valery Bozhinov when he scored against AC Milan and thinking he was going to be a top striker for years to come. And the following week, I think he got uh, a bad injury in the warm-up before the first game of the season away at Aston Villa and sadly that was pretty much it for his City career.
2: It wasn't just new City players who were on show in these sorts of matches too. They always took place on Community Shield weekend. Largely because City were never league or cup winners at the time, so there was no danger of a fixture clash. And since City were still yet to compete in the Champions League, it was a chance to see them up against some top-tier European opposition.
7: The pre-season games, when we kind of invited semi-decent European opposition was like mind-blowing at that time as a City fan. You've got to think who we were used to playing in pre-season friendlies and all of a sudden we were getting Barcelona, Olympiacos, Porto, Valencia. And I just never thought we'd see that calibre of opposition, certainly not around that time or any time soon. It was a kind of like a window into what a Champions League game might be like. That
2: Barcelona game wasn't actually part of the Thomas Cook Trophy. That was before the competition had been invented.
8: I used to quite enjoy the Thomas Cook Trophy actually. Um, obviously we were never involved in the Community Shield in those days and our European excursions weren't really worth getting excited about so it was interesting to play against different teams and a nice way to warm up for the new season. Um, Although I have to say, uh, after booking Barcelona to open the City of Manchester Stadium, the standard of opposition for those friendlies did deteriorate quite a bit in the following years, so I never felt particularly awestruck by the teams we were up against.
2: For the first couple of seasons, it was actually named the Thomas Cook Cup, until somebody realised that that name is very difficult to say over the PA system and in a radio script. Therefore, it went about a subtle name change. It started with a 3-1 win over Lazio in 2004 and that was followed up by a 3-1 win over Olympiacos in 2005. 1-0 defeats to Porto and Valencia were the 2006 and 2007 outings before that victory over AC Milan in 2008. Dan Burke thought the games were an opportunity to see some big stars in other teams.
8: I remember Olympiacos had Rivaldo playing for them when we played them. Um, that was quite exciting at the time. And uh, looking back at AC Milan's team sheet, actually, I was, I was surprised by how star studded it was. Um, they had the likes of Paolo Maldini, Gennaro Gattuso, Clarence Seydorf, Andrea Perlo all playing for them that day. Uh, when we played Valencia in, in Sven and otzens first home game like many City fans I think I was more intrigued by the strangers who lined up in a City shirt that day than any of Valencia's players to be honest
2: There was a similar feeling for Adam Carter
7: I remember the Porto game I was like in awe of Ricardo Caresma which is absolutely bizarre looking back but I couldn't believe that he was on the same pitch as our players I'd like to say I spotted David Silva scoring his first goal for Valencia but I didn't really notice him in that game so I'd be lying if I jumped on the (laughs) Silva hype that early on.
2: Neda Manua played for City in that 2006 loss to Valencia when the only goal of the game was scored by a 20-year-old David Silva. Little did we know he, like Torre, would go on to be a club legend for the home side. But Manua admits that he couldn't get close to the playmaker that afternoon.
8: I just remember thinking like we thought we were going to be good at City but oh lord were they good. Do you know what he is? So he's he's a magician, as people will say, and the way he views the game and the way he plays the game is like, you can't try and be it because you just, you're just just not it. He just has something
2: special. All of that said, the games were still pre-season friendlies and, as such, weren't always that great.
7: The games themselves were actually quite naff looking back. And I think we look back at it with a bit more uh, sugar-coated nostalgia than what it actually was, which was... The other team didn't want to be there and we were trying to bed in and find, you know, bed in some new signings and things. And Dan agrees.
8: The games were your typical pre-season friendlies, really. You know, both teams fielding 22 players each, um, all in the name of getting some extra match fitness in before the new season. I remember coming away from the wins against Lazio and Olympiacos and thinking City were in for a really good season, which unfortunately didn't end up being the case.
2: It was just a pre-season friendly, but it was a pre-season friendly that had a trophy and a presentation ceremony attached to it. So was there any actual pride in winning the thing? Here's what Richard Burns thinks.
6: I didn't take any pride in seeing City win it, I have to be honest. Um, it was always a joke to me. It was nice to win a friendly, if you could say that you'd beat Milan, but in terms of winning the Thomas Cook trophy, nah. I didn't uh, I didn't take any pride from that.
2: And it was the same for Dan
6: Burke. I only ever took ironic pride in
8: City winning it, really. Um, you know, I used to enjoy singing Thomas Cook trophy. We've won it three times. Um, it, you know, it was so meaningless that they, they let Kiki Bussamper lift it one year and it used to make me laugh how they would always refer to it as the Thomas cut Trophy final when everyone knew full well there were never any other rounds.
2: City have since played other matches in that slot but it's never been the same since the match was moved for both marketing and footballing reasons to other countries with other sponsors on other weekends. Now that City regularly compete in the Champions League, there's also no longer any prestige in inviting a European side to East Manchester to contest an entirely pointless trophy.
7: Hi, Colin Henry. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
2: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
3: So now, time to look ahead at the game with Liverpool on Sunday. Um, we're joined for this part of the show by uh, Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Rap. So, hi, Neil. Um, it, it, it's a strange game, this one, isn't it?
9: It is a little bit, yeah. It's it's sort of, it's, I think it might have come at the wrong time for both sides in a strange way. Uh, there's a lot going on. Um, I mean, it's our fourth tough game of the season in terms of how you write them down and, and it's only our eighth one so you know we've been to Stamford Bridge uh, and we've been to Goodison and we've also had uh, Arsenal uh, also Leeds and Villa there was no battle or laughs uh, Villa especially but you know I think it is it's, it's come at a bit of a difficult time I think both, fa- both sides are still in different ways sort of finding their feet and still solving a couple of problems uh, all of that said I think that you know I think it's lined up to possibly be really rather a good game, uh, depending on how you rate good, uh, whether from a partisan <laughs> point of view or not. But I think it's, it's shaping up to, to 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 be a hell of a contest because I think both sides will feel there's 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 definitely something there for them.
3: Well, it's like like you mentioned uh, Villa Park not being a barrel of laughs. I mean, you wouldn't have said at this stage of the season that City would have had a home five two defeat and that uh, Liverpool would have had a, an away seven two defeat. It's just it, it's been a bit of a mad one. It is.
9: It has been a little bit of a mad one. Villa Park, more and more, does look like a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, from our point of view at least you know we, we it's easy to remember the fact that Chelsea go down to 10 men uh, at Stamford Bridge but we were much the better side before then we started with a real edge and intent you know everyone takes away from the Goodison game uh, the Van Dyke injury and the fact that there's the late disallowed goal but we murdered Everton uh, we murdered them from the first whistle the Van Dyke injury happened they got themselves back in it a bit and then we murdered them again um, and we were really, really rather good and really rather impressive uh, the Arsenal game you know we conceded an early soft one but then we're really quite good in that one as well so, you know the thing about Villa is it was such a, such an outlier, such such an anomaly, really, that it feels that way. But it was, I think, it was a real reminder as to what can go wrong for Liverpool for, for for all sides who play how Liverpool and City play. But what can go wrong for Liverpool when when it begins to go wrong and you don't stem the tide of it, you don't fix it quick, you are open to getting batters, not necessarily seven two, but you are open to maybe getting taught a bit of a lesson. And and with a bit of luck, that will have taught Liverpool a little bit of a lesson. You know they've got to they've got to be on it for every minute of every game.
3: Jack, it, it almost feels like there could be goals in this game, given that, you know, Liverpool haven't got Van Dyke, and, and, but they have got a great attack. And, you know, City, we know, have been defensively a bit all over the place for the last 18 months or so. But City have tightened up in the last few weeks, and City especially aren't scoring that many goals Champions League aside at the moment.
5: No, I, t- I really, really don't know how it's going to go. Because um, ordinarily going into this game, you'd say, oh, there'll be tons of goals. But I think it might be. Not boring is a wrong word, but it could be a little bit of a stalemate in midfield. I think um, City are looking far more solid with Diaz and Diaz and Laporte, um, and yeah, there isn't there isn't that kind of edge in the final third is that that they've had in previous years, and it's difficult to put your finger on on why. Uh, I think to be honest, I think the the winner, if there is a winner, will be who deals with the first half an hour of the second half better because uh, I've not seen much of Liverpool live this, this year but City really struggle after half time until and then kind of find a second wind uh, late on because we saw that the other night. I mean, they, they got overran in, in midfield by Olympiacos for 20 minutes, 25 minutes yeah. um, which is a product of I think I think that's just still a hangover of not having a pre-season because they had a week, didn't they? And Liverpool, you know, Liverpool didn't have have much either. I think those two teams are finding that those kind of fitness issues a real a real problem. Whereas the, I don't think the, the wider world really care, do they? They just see the
9: results when actually it's quite obvious why they're not performing. I think I just on that I think that in in all honesty, both Manchester clubs to an extent, Wolves to a slight extent, Chelsea as well have been phenomenally sound about what's actually happened there we got a bit of a pre-season it wasn't anywhere near as much as we'd like but we at least had something to play with what actually happens i think to both manchester clubs especially is 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 genuinely ridiculous they should have been given at least one more week to bed in and found a way and find a way to make it work and, and and i think that you know i'm i am surprised that more of a fuss hasn't been kicked up and i think it would be perfectly legitimate if it had been
3: john do you think um just looking at at, at... City and getting the goals. I mean, obviously, Aguero is still unlikely to be ready for this game. Gabriel Jesus came back on, on Tuesday night and, and and played the end of the game. Uh, with a recognised striker in the side, is City more dangerous now?
4: I, I don't think they're more dangerous because we know how good Liverpool's attack is. I think the one thing we, we would say is that it's almost flipped over the last six months in that you know, Liverpool's defence was extremely strong, the strongest in Premier League, I see city had a great attack with Aguero, Sane, Sterling. You know, one of the one of the most probably the most fearsome attack at that. Twelve months ago, that's changed now with Salah and Mane in particular. I mean, I, I know a lot of Liverpool fans are, are uh, big up Firmino. I think people outside Liverpool perhaps see he, him as not quite on the same level. Um, but obviously, losing Van Dijk uh, and Matip. Where at the back where city have now got Diaz and Laporte looking like they are potentially a really strong center back pair it's like it's flipped flipped around um so that's why it possibly could be a little bit tight because city's defense is stronger Liverpool's attack is their is their main threat, and the defense is a little bit weaker than it has been.
3: Yeah. Do, you, do you see Jesus starting on, on, uh, on Sunday or do you reckon he'll go with Torres again?
4: I'd be surprised if he would throw him straight back into a game like that after such a long time out. I mean, he did look very fresh. Uh, he looked right up for it and it was a great finish for the goal. Um, but I would be surprised to see him start the game. So maybe Torres. I think Sterling's long been due a big performance against Liverpool. He's never really, particularly at Anfield, uh, with the fans there. Found it. he's found it very tough. Um, so I think he's he's due a big performance against Liverpool. I think the goal in the Community Shield was his first yeah. uh, last season. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, without without Hayes, Jesus, there's not too many goals around. So uh, he'll play a, a part at some point, but I wouldn't have thought he will start.
5: I wonder whether he might be half-tempted to, to play Sterling through the middle on, on Sunday. Because he, he was quite interested in the press the other day saying that Sterling, when they play against a low block, then they've got Sterling's best serves playing from the left because there's no space. But obviously Liverpool uh, come and play will 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 go and play the normal normal game to a certain extent, uh, and there will be spaces in behind. So I just wonder whether Sterling might just be thrown through the middle uh, yeah. ahead of ahead of Torres, particularly if if Jesus, if they can't get Jesus through kind of sixty seventy minutes, then that might be one to keep an eye on.
3: Neil, how, how do you feel about coming to the Etihad at the moment? Because we always talk about City's record against Liverpool and Field being, being dreadful. Actually, City have won the last three meetings between these two at, at the Etihad. And it feels like, I I, I don't want to say a bogey ground at, at this stage already, but it feels like, like there might be something in that already.
9: What I, The way I feel about it is that I actually think we've performed in patches very well. Uh, I think the... It, because of where it falls in the season, immediately after Christmas, the actual game—the uh, first week of January in twenty nineteen—is one of the best games in Premier League football ever. Both sides are excellent throughout. City edge it in the end, you know, but Liverpool have a goal which isn't given because the ball's twelve millimeters away from being over the line. There's, you know, there's a contentious uh, thing that company does during the game. Uh, it ends as a scramble and a scrap right in front of us at the Etihad. The atmosphere that day in that ground was brilliant, frankly. Um, I, it was a, it was a terrific game with two top sides, um, and so I, you know, it's not like I don't feel as a Liverpool haven't performed. Even the four nil, where Liverpool's you know, Liverpool are, are poor in the aftermath of having won, won the league, they have really good chances for the first half an hour and just fail to take any of them. Uh, which is you know, which was frustrating obviously whilst the game was going whilst the game was going on. But what it reminds you is Liverpool can create stuff on the Etihad. You know, we've got the there's the five and the when there's the sending off, but in amongst there as well, there is the Champions League win where we go there and we, you know, we we hold out first half and we perform well second. So it doesn't feel like you know, it doesn't feel like we're going there and we're never going to get anything. You know, there's a part of me that almost feels a little bit like we might just be due due certainly due to the bounce of the ball a tiny little bit, but Ultimately, you know, it's going to be a remarkably difficult place to go. And basically, this is our toughest game of the season. It's happening right now. This is this is our, you know, if you if you ask me to rank, what is Liverpool's hardest game of the season? Away at Manchester City is just our hardest game, and it's almost irrelevant, you know, to talk about when you know Leicester go there and score five or. You know, any any other defeats that there's been at the Etihad in the last 12 months, they're irrelevant. This is as hard as it gets for Liverpool. So, you know, I'm not going, you know, I'm not full of confidence or anything like that. But the one thing I would say is I think Liverpool have at least had patches in games where they could have scored and they've had a couple of performances where they've shown a load, a load of courage for the whole of the 90 minutes and they've not sort of backed down to the challenge of City, even if, you know, they split those games 50 50 between the one we win in the Champions League and the one where we get beat at the start of January uh, in 2019.
3: Jack, do you think City, will, uh, in a weird way, will be relishing this game because, like you say, Liverpool aren't going to play in a style that they've been facing a lot at the Etihad recently?
5: Uh, I think relish is probably the wrong word given they've not really hit the ground running yet. Of the I mean, Neil, is, is Phillips going to play? Do you think?
9: No, no, he'll play. I think Matip will play. I'd be amazed if Matip isn't fit. So I think matter. I think he should come. The Matip The matter. Issue isn't whether or not Matip can play ninety minutes. It's what then happens to his body for the next two weeks. Seemingly. So I suspect if Matip had needed to be needed last weekend or at Atalanta, he could have played. But the point is, if he'd have played in either of them, he may not then have been able to play the Etihad. So I'd be really surprised. I genuinely would be surprised if Matip doesn't start.
3: The old Benjamin Mendy issue. Well, yeah, yeah the less said about that the better. I <laughs> um,
5: yeah, I, uh, I. I don't think it's a particularly. Good or bad time to be playing Liverpool? It's just, it, it It's like any any question about this season. Like nobody knows, do they? This this is the this is the problem. It's difficult predicted anything, um, just because of the scenario that we find ourselves in at the moment, and, and all of that. The, all the wider issues in the Premier League seem to be amplified at City at the moment because of what I said before about the pre-season and the injuries and everything else that goes with it. I I don't know. It's it's. It's difficult. I don't. I don't think they would. I don't think they're going to be relishing it. But they can certainly get a result if the if they find some cutting edge in the final third.
3: Yeah, John. We we touched on uh, Diaz and Laporte. Uh, is is that enough? Is that partnership now enough to be to be able to cope with the sort of attacking threat that Liverpool will pose? Because, I mean, it's it's looked good in the last few games. I mean, obviously, uh, Arcos was, was Torres and it was uh, Ake and, and Stones, but uh, but you know what I mean? It, it feels like it's so much more settled at the moment.
4: Yeah, it is in the centre of the defence. It's the full-backs, which uh, the issue of Well, left-back. I mean, Walker started the season superbly. Diaz-Laporte looked very good. Left-back is still an issue. Cancelo has done okay. Uh, there were moments against Sheffield United. Well, I mean, their, their one chance came when Cancelo was weak. Uh, he was nutmegged. The ball was pulled back, and it went over the bar. So, you know, they've got to be. He's got to be strong if he starts. I, I think he will be the the one that starts at left back. Um, and obviously, in front of the back four is Rodri. He's had a again bit of a mixed start to the season. You know, at times you feel like he's really getting to grips with the position because it's such a key uh, role in Guardiola's side. You know, he, he, Barcelona were. were Busquets was central to everything they were doing and same at, uh, at Bayern Munich with Lahm. Um, was, you know, he switched in from full-back into that central midfield role because it was so important. And Fernandinho is, is the, has been a master at it for City for a long time and Rodri's still young, still leading the position and it's such a big responsibility and it's, it's one that sometimes good sides can play it around him. So whether he goes with... I mean, I don't think he will go with two sort of defensive midfield piv- pivots. But could he put Fernandinho? I mean, Fernandinho isn't
3: there. But he, could he put Gundogan there instead?
4: Yeah, that's he could play someone in a sort of auxiliary defensive midfield role, someone who can get forward, but a little bit, a little bit more of a safety net uh, rather than going all out. You know, with sort of De Bruyne and and Bernardo, or De Bruyne and Foden. You know, maybe maybe. maybe Maybe Foden starts as a, on the left-hand side of a front three because the other thing, obviously, we all know about Liverpool is their wing, wingers, wing backs play like wingers. Uh, you know, they're an absolute attacking threat. And I don't think you can go with Marais in a game like this. I think it has to be probably Foden on one side and Sterling on the other. Yeah,
3: um, just talking on defenses, Neil. How how is life without Virgil Van Dijk? Because we this was the what this was your big fear from that show we did at the start of the season yeah. that, that you'd be out they'd be without him for the season.
9: Yeah, ultimately we've dropped five yards, uh, maybe a little bit more, um, and we dropped a little bit more during the game as well. It's worth remembering Virgil plays in the seven two uh, of Villa. You know he's captain that day. I think and we'd conceded you know we'd conceded two on a number of occasions two or more on a number of occasions since the first of february we don't come back from the winter break that well uh going right the way back to february and then post lockdown as well you know city put four past us we go to arsenal we concede two there uh, there's a couple of other places where we concede a couple we get we win 3-1 at brighton but brighton really should should score a couple of goals that day so we've been You know, we've been pushing the line, we've been pushing the defending, we've been as front foot as it's it's possible to be. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd much rather have Virgil van Dijk. But I think what it's done is Liverpool have been a lot more responsible uh, as a unit since van Dijk's gone out. It's not the idea, well, it's all all right, you've got the cheat code playing next to you, you know, you've got that fella behind you who's so good. There's been a little bit more, I think, of Liverpool. Acting as defending as a team, helping each other out. I mean, Phillips gets man of the match for the game against West Ham. He wasn't man of the match. He won his battles, and he was, you know, he was very competitive. But what he also had all the way through the game was someone just next to him, someone just to help him at any given moment. And Liverpool, Liverpool have done and do do that really well in a number of different places around the pitch. So obviously, life with Van Dijk is tougher. But you know, we've got nine points in the Champions League group. We're top of the table. you know as i said before four of our if you write down our fixtures in terms of their difficulty three of our top 8 uh, we've played we'll have played by close of play on sunday um and four of our top sort of 12 we'll have played by then as well so you know we we are doing okay uh, but there will, the will come points where it's difficult in Van Dyke's absence but the other thing it does as well is it just creates an absolute knife edge for everyone else, Gomez gets the occasional knock here and there Matip as I said before there's questions around his recovery, Fabinho does well at centre half but he's not used to it and the injury I think stems from that, we could do without another injury to the goalkeeper of which there's been a fair few across the last 18 months and we need, we need both full backs to stay healthy as well so it does put a lot of stress on and we're only, we're only really Really, one more injury away from a genuine crisis, which is much more than missing the best centre-half in the world, if you see what I mean.
3: Yeah. Um, just looking at uh, at City's attack, John, um, could, I, I mean, I, I know we're only in uh, early part of the season and it's six games, but do you know the last time that City was still in single figures for uh, for the number of goals scored after six games? Um, it must have been Alan Ball.
4: No, it's not quite that bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: we are going all the way. We're going back to 2010, uh, Roberto Mancini's first season in charge. I mean, that, it, it just cuz to show that at the minute that City aren't scoring a lot of goals right now.
4: No, uh, but I think we've touched on this already. It goes back to no pre-season. Uh, you know, it's extraordinary circumstances we're going through. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's weird at the ground. You know, as was it against Olympiacos in midweek at 1-0? uh that's the game that City would have gone on and won 4-5-0 in the past two, three seasons. But, I mean, they missed chances, which they, they always have done. But the uh, the way that Olympiacos sort of held in there and came back, it just was... I think that can be put down to what's going on at the moment. So I don't think it's... Overly concerning. They're not going to get close to the hundred goals that they've had at two out of the last three seasons, but this is just a season unlike any other. You know, those yeah. are, that's where we're at. I think there's that, but I think there's that. But just one other quick thing on this: Liverpool and City. We've
9: we've all faced Arsenal, Sheffield United, and West Ham before. These are teams who every week play. You know, for, uh, for West Ham and Arsenal, for me it's five four one. For Sheffield United, it's five three two. De facto, watch, we played West Ham last week, and they've got that back five. They've got then in front of them Suchek and Rice who by the way if you dropped either of them into centre half you wouldn't think it was mad they're both 6 foot 4 they're absolute units So you've got 7 players to deal with there and I actually think Liverpool and City I expect them both to be strong second half of the season because I think they're transitioning a little bit this idea of being able to get round the back and hit the byline and then go from there which City have been brilliant at I think sides are making that harder and harder I think you're going to see more of Liverpool and City just going through the middle so the goal Liverpool scored to win the game against West Ham where they they. Basically, say, all right, imagine the pitch is now a 30 by 30 square right in front of your penalty area, and we'll play a 6v6. And we've got better players. So the question is whether or not we run out of time. And I think that's what you're going to start to see from Manchester City as well when they're coming up against these sides. Is okay, you're defending this space really, really well. Well, we're going to do this now. And you're going to have to put up with us continually trying to go over you in the middle of the goal or through you with a through ball in the middle of the goal. And you're going to have to put up with this over and over again. Because if you just want to sit there with seven players, then this is what we're going to do. And we're going to get the better of you eventually.
3: Yeah. Uh, final question for this game, uh, Jack. How how much of an influence do you think that uh, game in hand is having for City right now? Because uh, obviously, you know, City win it and they're, they're two points behind Liverpool, come what may. And then if if they beat Liverpool at weekend and then take the three points from that game in hand, they're above them. So it's like, is it? Are we already in must win or must not lose territory? Or is it's a must it just... not?
5: It's definitely a must not lose. Yeah, they they can't go eight behind with a game in hand after seven games. I I don't. I know it's we said it a few times already, haven't we, that it's a strange season, but you can't go that far behind already because it's just such an uphill task, um, which makes me think that City will not be conservative but kind of recycle the ball even more than they normally do. A bit cagey. Because um, he's, he's been pleading for patience on the ball for weeks and weeks, and I think they're going to try and be really, really patient. And if they can carve a proper chance out and take it then that'll do them.
2: this is the blue moon podcast but well, don't worry it'll be over soon
3: well time to check in with the charity bear each of the panel is getting a 10 pound correct score single on City's games from William Hill and the winnings are going to the Christie a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester so far we've raised 170 pounds with the unlikely 125 to one shot against Olympiakos not coming off uh let's get some predictions on the board for City against Liverpool um John I'm going to start with you what have you got
4: I've gone for a 2-1 City win
3: uh 2-1 City win is 8-1 to and 80 pounds if you're right Jack what are you having 2-all I'm going for, despite saying it might be <laughs> Uh 2-all is 10-1, to one, so £100 if you're right. And Neil, uh, I'll, I'll give you mine because I'm rubbish at it. So off you uh, go. Just
9: out of interest, I'll take the bigger price out of a 0-0 that's very similar to the eighth game of the eighteen nineteen season when City came to Anfield uh, and not much happened until the late penalty. Uh, so I'll take the bigger price out of that 0-0 or 2-1 Liverpool. Because obviously we want to raise money for the for the charity. So whichever one of those is the bigger price, I'll take.
3: Right, well, uh, a two-one Liverpool win is ten to one and a nil-nil draw is sixteen to one. So you'll you'll have the nil 0 draw.
9: I'll see the nil-nil draw, uh, and everyone can think, my god, I'm mad, but I reckon I reckon that could actually be value.
3: Lovely stuff. Right. 160 quid if you're right. Uh, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begamblerware.org Neil, thank you very much for joining us today.
9: An absolute pleasure as always and and let's just all enjoy the game on Sunday because God we've got nothing else to look forward to.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right, well City's home games against Liverpool have been pretty good recently but there was one home game with Liverpool that might stick out in fans memories for all the wrong reasons. We're going back nearly 25 years to the final day of 1995-96. Here's the picture. City were in the relegation zone on goal difference. Going into the match they knew that if they got a better result than one of Southampton or Coventry or if they won and Sheffield Wednesday lost it would be enough to survive. All three of those teams drew, leaving the door open for City to stay up. But City also drew, coming from 2-0 down to level at 2-all. With only a few minutes left, Duff information got to the bench and manager Alan Ball believed that the result was enough for survival, and he encouraged the players to waste time by the corner flag until Niall Quinn sprinted from the tunnel to explain that they were still going down. Kit Simons scored the equaliser that day. He's been speaking to me about that game. But first he talks us through how the move to City came about at the beginning of that season.
1: I've been sort of made my mind up. I was I was going to leave Portsmouth um, once Jim Smith had been sacked as manager. Um, I've been there for like eight years. Um, I was linked with a few clubs, talked to Sheffield Wednesday, a um, couple of other clubs, Blackburn, I was linked with. Um, but the actual move to City sort of came a bit out of the blue, so to speak. I, I I played the first game of the season for Portsmouth because obviously the Championship started a week before the Premier League. So we had a home game at Fratton Park. I came home from the game, we, we'd won. I um, was obviously all quite pleased with myself. And then um, got a phone call from Alan Ball. Um, City had played their last pre season friendly, which I think was against Hearts and they lost 5 0. Um, and he phoned me up that night, just said, listen, I want to make changes. I want to. Um, sort of bring in reinforcements. Can you come up on Monday? And, and that was it, really. So I jumped on a plane Monday morning, met Borley in Platte Lane at the training grounds and, and sort of signed straight away. So I, I travelled up with a, with a toothbrush, I think, that was about it, and, and didn't go back um, to Portsmouth for quite, quite a few weeks after that. So it was all a little bit of a whirlwind and uh, it all happened quite quickly.
3: In terms of, uh, I mean, obviously you were you were club captain at City for a while. Were you offered the captaincy straight away?
1: No, no. Well, I, obviously I signed in the Premier League and um, it was a big transitional time, obviously. I think people can see that now um, at the club at the time. And a lot of players were leaving, but there were still quite a few established senior pros there. So Curly Keith Curl, um, was captain at the time. So he he stayed on as captain. There people like, obviously, Niall Quinn was there as well. Um, so a lot of good experience, sort of senior pros, Terry Phelan, Peter Beagley, players like this. Uh, although, like I say, the changes were certainly a foot at the time.
3: I was going to say, the, uh, the start of that 95-96 season, I mean, as a new signing, it probably couldn't have gone much worse, could it? <laughs>
1: Well, the first game, I mean, we, you know, we played Tottenham at Main Road and Drew one all. And I thought, you know, we're, we're sort of quite a competitive side. We seemed like there was a, a, a you know, decent nucleus of senior players there. Um, but, yeah, like I say said, pretty much after that, it, 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 was, it was a real slog. And obviously, we didn't win for, what was it, 12, 13 games, whatever it was in the end, I can't remember. And it was, it was very, very tough. Um but I, I don't think I felt it initially quite as much as most other people, because I was new into it. Uh, so I was still very much finding my feet with the, the football club and, uh, and the city in general and, and things like that. So I don't think I, I sort of had the the doom and gloom and the, the weight on my shoulders quite as much as a lot of other people with the club had been there for quite a long time um, did. So, yeah, it was, it, it, but it's, you know, soon after after a while, it sort of starts to hit you, and you you get the magnitude, the size of the club, and um, obviously with being a, a sort of two club city, you then get the the papers. It's all about City or United, literally, and um, there's there's lots of stuff always going on, and then so I, I did appreciate it pretty quickly just how tough it was it was going to be.
3: When, when it comes to, to the end of that season, obviously the, the, the final day, um, what, just talk me through what, what, what happened on the pitch that day because it's, it's it, in many ways, it's an extraordinary story.
1: Oh, David, I, can't, I still to this day don't quite know what went on that final day. Obviously, we, we went into the last game, Liverpool, uh, Main Road, Knowing we, we were on the same points as Coventry and Southampton, um, but they both had better goal difference than us. So we knew we had to better either one of their results um, to stay up. It was as simple as that going into the final day. So we sort of knew what we had to do. Um, and then obviously we go a couple of goals down quite early on. Again, it's you can feel the weight sort of lifting and then um, we get a goal back. And then, and then I score the equaliser to make it 2-2. Two, two. Uh, and then at this stage, somehow, and again, it was, obviously this is back in 95, whatever, 96 then. So, uh, you know, mobile phones were about, but not to the same levels as they are today. And But somehow we were getting information was being fed to, to the manager to get fed onto the pitch that a draw was enough for us. Because I remember, you know, everyone's seen the Lomi, Stevie Lomas sort of, Killing time on the on the touchline, trying to trying to run the clock down. Um, when the, the reality was we needed to score another goal. We needed to win the game to stay up. But the misinformation somehow. Then I can remember Quinny, who I think he must have been injured, Quinny, or suspended, um, sort of running down the stairs. Somehow he'd found out we needed to win, and he's given information we need to try and score another goal. So it was it's all a Still to this day, like I say, I I can't tell you exactly what happened, how it happened, or why it happened. But it was it it was horrific. I know that, and obviously at the final whistle, then I I can't remember one of the games. I think it was a Coventry one. was a delayed kickoff, so we're sitting in the tunnel at Main Road, not knowing if we're up or down, and we're still waiting to hear the the final results. We knew Southampton had drawn. but we didn't know the the other result, and we were waiting on that, and it was it was a it felt like ages. It was probably five six minutes or something. We were waiting in the tunnel, but it felt like an eternity. And then obviously we got the news that um that yeah that the result hadn't gone our way, and and we were relegated. I was going to say
3: with with the the Duff information getting to the pitch, there must have been a spell where you thought your goal had, had
1: been enough to keep City up. Well, there was, and you try like say so you try and stay focused and things like that. But you know I I'd equalised and. It does flash through your mind, you know. This I, I could have been sort of like the hero on the final day and that you know, my goal had had kept City in the Premier League sort of thing. So it does flash through your mind. But then you try and put that out of your mind and focus on on finishing the game. But I you know, I'll, I'll be honest, it did it did sort of flash through and you sort of can't help it in those situations and um yeah, <laughs> what could have been type thing is um obviously Things didn't then quite pan out as I would have wanted, either for the for the club or for myself.
3: Yeah how how was the dressing room after that game? Because it, it, I mean, it, it's a roller coaster of emotions that has ended badly.
1: Yeah, it was it was horrific. It was um, yeah. It, I mean, people yeah people tell stories about changing rooms after games, but and it's hard. It's very very difficult to describe until you've actually sort of experienced it and been been part of it. It's very difficult to describe. Obviously, it was a very sombre dressing room and everyone's got their own personal feelings and what's going through their mind personally. But then you you look at the bigger picture, certainly I did for the the club and the supporters and what it means to all these other people as well. You know, you feel you've let different sections of, you know, People down, family, friends, the, you know the supporters, the football. It's horrible. It's it's, and but like I say it is very difficult to describe unless you've actually been through it and, and experienced it yourself. Now, listen, as as fans, it's horrible, you know. I'm I'm sure, but it's um it's different to when you're actually a, a player. And now the, the people. Um, you know, some people say footballers don't care and things like that. Well, well, trust me, a lot of, most footballers, in my case, do care deeply. Now, sometimes they care about themselves, maybe more than the, the actual football club that, that, that pays their wages and, and the supporters that turn up every week. But they care deeply. Now, certainly in that change room, there was very mixed emotions and everyone was was feeling it for their own their own different reasons or whatever and it was it was just a horrific place to be and i remember the, the following night we had play of the year do so you just uh, turning up for that and the fans city fans as you know are in, are incredible but i think and and they've had obviously so much success in recent years and I, I you know i couldn't wish it on a better better club or a better group of supporters but and City fans have been brilliant. I'm, I'm sure they've really enjoyed that success. But I think City fans really show their true colours and come to their own in, in diversity, in tough times. And I've got to say that it was horrible having to turn up for the player of the year do the following night. But the city, city supporters were brilliant. Absolutely different class.
2: Hear all of our City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com.
3: That was Kit Simons speaking to me there. And the second part to that interview will be on next week's show. Uh, John, just quickly before we move on, were you at that game, uh, the, the Liverpool 2 all on the final day?
4: Yeah, I, I was. And um, I wasn't aware of the incident with Niall Quinn coming out and, and everything uh, um, until years later, actually, because I just... Didn't, wa- didn't watch Match of the Day, I guess. No, yeah. no. Yeah. So um yeah I was I was completely unaware that that any of that had happened for a long time. Yeah.
3: How how do you look back on it now um when you think of where's like like the fact that it's all turned out all right for city like can you look back at it and laugh
4: <laughs> for the time it was terrible. <laughs>
3: I think we'll leave it there. Uh, it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Um, send your questions in on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. You can also send us a message on Instagram. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast there. Um, Adam Billings has been in touch on the emails to say, what did you think of the players on show in the FA Youth Cup final? Which players stand to the best chance of making it at City? Um, Jack, were you we there? No, I wasn't there, but I did watch it. Yeah, uh, I think there was only one member of the
5: press there, which was Simon Bukowski from the MEN. So credit to him.
6: <laughs> well, um, well, well done, Simon.
5: It was very, very cold and windy. Apparently, uh, I wasn't there, but I was very impressed. Thought they were thought they were excellent. Um, the vast majority of them have got a got a chance of making uh, careers in the or getting careers in the Premier League. I think um, credit credit to the the club and the and the and the coaching throughout the academy. Really, that they've that quite a lot of those players have come through. A good number of years at City. I know like you know, Rodgers and Dalat were, uh, were fairly recent signings, but um, Doyle, Howard Bellis um, and Bette, Slicker have been there for a good number of years now. Um, and it looks, I don't know, it, it looks bright. Um, and it's difficult to pick out the absolute standouts because I thought as a team they were, they were excellent.
3: Yeah, John, it's um, it's one of those competitions where um, you only really pay attention to it when your team gets to the final, sort of thing. Um, City have been City have been desperate to win it for for a while, haven't they?
4: Yeah, and I thought they completely deserved it. Um, yeah, I, I watching watched finals between City and Chelsea over the years, and you go go back a couple of years when Foden, Sancho, and Diaz were playing for City, and Chelsea had. Uh, Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham and Solanke and Chelsea were a lot better, uh, even even those great City players. Well, you know, City players that were City players at the time who have gone on to be really good players. Well, I thought they actually deserved it, completely deserved it on Monday night. It was a really, really enjoyable game. I thought it was a, gr- a really great game to watch. Uh, s- some really exciting City players. I thought t- Tommy Doyle. Ran the midfield, Uh, Cole Palmer absolutely love watching him play. So stylish, full of just um, just a really gifted player, yeah, really natural player. Um, And there's the two centre halves are you know we talked about Eric Garcia, and you, you think you do think well he wants to leave the club. Howard Bellis is a year behind in his development, and you think you know just. He's got much more of a of a chance of a future at City, so why not just sort of bypass Garcia now and he's gone and go with Harwood Bellis? Mbete uh, is he, two the, years he's behind. The
5: real, he's the real deal, Mbete. He's he looks sens- incredible,
4: sensational. Yeah, uh, but just all over, just every player in that side looks very, very good. Do you see?
3: Do you see much opportunity for them in games like League Cup games this season, given how packed the schedule might be, Jack? Well, the, well, the League Cup's
5: effectively done now, though, isn't it? I mean, it's the, the, they're into the quarterfinals now, aren't they? So, um, I, how
3: about the, how about the FA Cup then? In that in that case?
5: Yeah, I do. I do. I think I certainly think Palmer, uh, Howard, Bellis, Doyle, uh, Delap are going to get chances again. Um, I think some of the... Some, as John said, like you look at Mbete, Mbete is only just turned 17. And he, those sort of players aren't going to get a chance, but the ones at the top of the, or the older ones and, and the, the more advanced ones in the group are going to get opportunities. I think that's kind of... It, it's been overlooked a little bit with Pep the last couple of years, really, since Foden's got in. There have been opportunities for these younger players. And they are fleeting, and they don't get a run in the team, but they are playing in the cup competitions. He's given a number of debuts to to teenagers now, uh, with Palmer and and Dalat being the latest.
4: Nemecha
5: on uh, on on Tuesday night, yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, Nemecha's slightly older. Nemecha's twenty, I think. Um, so I'd, yeah, not. It'd be interesting to see what happens with with Nemecha because you would have thought that Nemecha might have gone out on loan this year. Um, but I mean, they've just got all the. This is this is the thing. right? right, we're talking about these like five or six. We've not even mentioned Hodge. I mean, Hodge was great on Monday night. I thought he was really, really good in the middle of midfield. Um, Mcatee as well, well
4: was was that
5: Mcatee. Yeah, completely forgot. Yeah, well, I mean, Mcatee will be the next one that gets his gets his debut. I think. Um, but beneath them, they've got some like really, really good players that obviously didn't didn't play Monday night. I mean. Alex Robertson in midfield is a year younger than than those than, than that group. He got on in the semi final and, and the final. Um, he's very hard working midfielder. He's got a lot of quality on the ball. They have made some a number of signings of players that are kind of 16, 17 in recent months. So you'll see you'll see them in the next youth cup, and it might be that two or three of them make a make an impression and end up actually overtaking some of the ones that in a 13 point from a first team point of view end up overtaking some of the ones that are in the in the squad on, on Monday so it's a really I think it's a really exciting time for city in, in the Academy I did Jason Wilcox last week uh, the Academy director and he, he's just you can just tell that they just feel like they're in a really really good place with it yeah. and they, they and you can' let's be honest you've not been able to say that with city for a a good while. I don't think they've been in a place where they've wanted to be for for a while. And now they're, they're seeing these these guys coming through. That all right? How many of them can make it a city? I don't know. Two or three, possibly. But they firmly believe that the rest of them are gonna are gonna get carve carve out top flight careers, yeah, which good solid which is careers great. as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah.
3: Well, uh, that's it for today's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget you can support the show with something as simple as giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that accepts reviews of podcasts generally. Uh, If you'd like to help us out further, then you can support the show on Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And if you back $2, $5 or $10 per month, you'll get access to all of our back catalogue of bonus shows plus the new ones each week as well. This week's episode is the common links between City and Liverpool. Thanks to my two guests, Jonathan Smith. Thank you. And Jack Gorn. Thank you. I'll be back next week and I'll see you then.
2: That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.